Welcome to Lead with Confidence, the podcast where we will explore the journeys of leaders who inspire, empower, and believe in others. Join me to discover your self-confidence in love, life, and leadership. I'm Desiree Petrick, owner of Intentional Action, motivational speaker, and executive coach, and I can't wait to join your journey to learn what it means to lead with confidence. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Lead with Confidence. My guest today is none other than Michael J. Pope. He is a fellow John Maxwell team member and a personal development junkie like myself. But as you will hear in the episode, he did not start out that way. He was a very shy and introverted kid who allowed people to speak for him. And I'm not going to give away the whole story, but I think it's fascinating to see how he came from someone with a complete different personality than myself which we talk about when we get into a little bit of the DISC personality systems, but how we both ended up wanting to add value to people's lives and talk about leadership specifically. So we're going to talk about his doer philosophy, what it means to be disciplined, opportunity focused, how to eliminate your excuses and how to take responsibility, not only for where you are in life, but also your own personal growth. And then, you know me, I love talking about company culture. So we do throw a couple of questions in at the end to discuss what it looks like to humanize work culture and what it means to tackle some of the human-centric concerns that are a part of our conceptions of business culture. So that was a lot of words strung together, but I promise that the conversation is fire. He gives a book recommendation at the end, as always, and I'm really excited for you to hear from him. So just a little bit more about Michael. He embarked on a transformative path from a software developer to a developer of people. He is now known as the coach's tech guy. His quest for deeper meaning led him to acquire advanced certifications from globally respected authorities like leadership guru John C. Maxwell and eminent neuropsychologist Dr. Joseph McClendon. I've actually never heard of Joseph, so I had to look up how to say his name, but these achievements propelled Michael into esteemed teaching roles, garnering prestigious accolades and recognition, and his knowledge and his humbleness in talking about these things that he has so much knowledge on is just so much fun. I love this conversation. I hope that you will too. So without further ado, let's introduce Michael. Hey, Michael. I'm so excited to have you. How's it going? Things are going great, Desiree. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you start by explaining a little bit about who you are, why why you do what you do, and I want to know what it means to be the coach's tech guy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So greetings, everyone. I am Michael Pope, known as the Coach's Tech Guy. And so I'm a certified speaker, trainer, and coach, certified by uh, Maxwell Leadership, the John Maxwell team, as well as New Ring Coding um, with Joseph McClendon III. And so as far as what does it mean to be the Coach's Tech Guy? So I have over 28 years of IT experience, primarily as a software developer. And when I transitioned into the coaching arena back in 2019, I actually tried to separate what I did from a tech side of things with coaching. However, what I quickly realized, is there's a lot of coaches, Desiree, that, that need support in the tech area. They're like, how do I use Zoom? And because really after, when I joined in 2019, 2020, of course, the pandemic hit. And so everybody had to do things virtual. Mm. And so really that's when the coaches tech guy was really born because I was already supporting people with tech issues anyway. But they really showed up when everyone was like, okay, hey, I've got to be able to show up confidently in a virtual environment. How do I do that? 
And so I started helping other coaches do that, set their systems up so they can accept payments and all of that, um, create landing pages, funnels in this virtual space. And so that's really how the coaches said I was born. That's so cool. And even reading everything on your website, like just hearing you explain it definitely paints a really clear picture. And so why you asked me this question, why the John Maxwell team, why the John Maxwell team? Yeah. So for me, I, the first book I ever read of John's was um, developing the leader within you. It was 1.0, the 1.0 version of it. And that book helped me out because growing up, I had a horrible self-image no, so so low self-confidence, low personal self-worth. I'm a natural introvert anyway, so I really didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe I could ever lead people. And I always thought that I had to be given a title to be able to lead. So I read John Maxwell's book, Developing the Leader Within You, back in probably the early 2000s is when I read it. And I and I realized in that, that book, John Maxwell says that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And he taught me that I could be a leader right where I was at, right? So I could lead my, I had to lead myself first, then I could lead the people, my peers around me, and I can even lead the people above me, the managers, right, with my influence. And so I, I used to go to conferences and I would hear John Maxwell speak and he talked about his team. Well, there was a time where like financially it wasn't the right time for me. But then in 2019, a good friend of mine approached me. He said, hey, Michael, I'm thinking about joining the John Maxwell team. Um, he, he gave me some information about it. He said, hey, if you're interested in joining too, I can let you, I can get you in contact with someone. So I did. Timing was perfect. I talked to my wife and I about it. And timing was perfect for me to take uh, part in this certification program. And I was very glad I did. When I jumped in because I was ready, I was financially ready, I was mentally ready. I mean, I jumped in and started taking action right away with it, with the team and never looked back. That's yeah, that's fantastic. I don't think you can look back once you've experienced <laughs> the John Maxwell team. I mean, there's no <laughs> going back after that, but I'm curious because I saw that you're also certified as a disc consultant. Yes. So what is your disc personality? Yeah, and so for anyone who doesn't know what that is, explain it a little further. Yeah. So, so, so DISC is, is one of the many personality styles out there, DISC, D-I-S-C. So I am a C-S, very even C-S. My D and I are very extremely low. I raise my D and I when I need to. However, I'm still a natural introvert. So I'm very analytical. So C is typically an analytical type person. Um, S is more supportive type person in, you know, in that serving capacity. So like I said, my C and S are very, very high. D and I, extremely low. But I have learned how to adapt it when needed. So that way, I, like I love public speaking. So I've learned how to, to raise my D or I when it's needed for a situation. But my natural oh, interesting. state, CS. Because <laughs> I am a high ID if there ever was one. Like my C is my ability to be analytical and care about numbers. Like, don't let me look at your QuickBooks. I will ruin them just by looking at them. You're like, That's I want to see my details. <laughs> just get it done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so that's really interesting. The reason I ask is, do you feel like that, that SC or CS personality contributed to your self-worth when you were younger? Do you feel like that combination of your personality had anything to do with why you felt that way? I think it, I think it does. I mean, because like I said, I grew up as very introverted 
And what happened was because I was introverted and because I'm a CS, I was slow to respond a lot of times. And so what would happen, Nazareth, is that people would speak for me. So it'd be a situation where someone would ask me a question, you know, and then a, a parent or some other adult or whatever would quickly would quickly chime in and say, oh, yeah, he doesn't like that. Or he, you know, he prefers this type of thing. And I got used to just being quiet and letting, you know, essentially letting other people speak for me. And I think it's just because of the way my personality was. But once I started reading, studying some of the personality books, like I learned about this even before I joined the John Maxwell team, I had read a couple of books on different personality styles. And so DISC being one of them. And I started to really understand myself more to realize that that it's okay for me to be introverted. It's okay for me to have to process information before I respond. And what I've learned how to do is if I think it's going to take me time to process, I'll let the person know that I'm that I at least heard the, the question and then I'm going to respond. So I'll say, oh, that's a great question. Let me give me a moment. Let me think about it and I'll give you an answer. Right. So that way it's not holding me back. This week's episode is brought to you by Natural Cycles, the first FDA cleared birth control app. It allows you to learn the unique pattern of your cycle with tailored updates and insights. Recently, it was updated to pair with your Apple Watch for effortless tracking. It's hormone-free, non-invasive, and effective. The app was also recently updated to allow your partner to log in and keep track to be a part of the process, either for birth control or planning of a pregnancy. By using my link, you will get 20% off of an annual subscription and a free thermometer. Go to DesireePetrick.com slash natural cycles or click on the link in the show notes. Yeah, that's fantastic because myself as a really high I, which means I'm really outgoing and kind of loud and sometimes obnoxious and also high D, I always say I am aggressively friendly. Aggressively and friendly. Sometimes that can come across as me putting my foot in my mouth, you know, kind of saying what I think without analyzing how the other person is going to take it. So, um, the reason I ask these questions and I love having this conversation with someone specifically who has a different personality style than me is it doesn't affect your ability to be a good leader. It affects the way that you approach leadership. So when you are going in and working with teams that are diverse in their personality styles, how are you showing up with confidence to say, I know that I have the ability to interact with and to connect with all of these different styles? Yeah. So one of the things is it's great to have a good understanding of the different personality styles. And so if I am dealing with someone who is in a high eye and let's say I had a situation where I've got a person where I'm working with, they're extremely high eye. I knew that the first five minutes of my conversation with her was going to be, hey, how was your weekend? How's the family doing? Like all those type of things that me as a CS, I could care less about. However, I knew that she was going to ask me those questions. So I was prepared to answer but also, I knew that she wanted me to ask her about her weekend before we got into any details, right? She wanted me to ask her, hey, what did you do this weekend? So she could share the highlights. For me, being a CS, I'm like, just give me the details. I got I got a checklist of things that I was going to get done, All right? It could be a short meeting. However, she wanted to get into that conversation, the relationship side first. So me knowing that, it helped me prepare and it helped create a better relationship. It's kind of funny now that I know this about you, Michael, to have had you ask me how long this interview was going to be. <laughs> the analytical side, I guess, probably didn't like my answer of 20 to 40 minutes. 
but um all right yeah, I that's a big range you. right <laughs> it's a very large range so sorry about that but um so I'm curious where do you feel on that leadership front that a person's ability to be self-confident and show up with that confidence first how does that intersect with leadership what does it mean to cross-reference those two things yeah so it's very important to have that confidence um so I, I love what John Maxwell says. He says that the hardest person you ever have to lead is yourself. Mm. So for me, growing up with a low self-confidence, low self-image, I had to learn how to discipline myself, number one, and really work on myself. And so for me, I did things like affirmations, and I still do that today, right? Lots of affirmations, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, hey, hey, Michael, I love you. You are amazing. Today's going to be a great day. You are confident. You're an amazing speaker. People love hearing your voice. People respect you. People want to be led by you, um, right? So just saying things like that over and over to change my mind and my perspective. So that way, when I'm asked to take on a leadership responsibility, first, I, I have the confidence that I can truly do it. And also, I have the confidence to be able to say, if it's not the right situation, that no, this isn't going to be a good fit for me. But it's all like confidence. But So that's why your, your confidence is so important because sometimes you have to have confidence to say no. I was in a situation where because I didn't have confidence for years, I would say yes to things that I really didn't want to do. Things that were going to like take my energy away. And, and I knew I wouldn't do a good job at it because it was just like something that just, you know, it just was definitely the wrong thing for me to be a part of. Someone else would have been better suited for that. You know, kind of like what you said about numbers, right? It's like, right, if somebody asked you to do some type of accounting type thing or something, you're like, don't give Hard me your pass. QuickBooks. Don't give me, you know, it's like, but if you're, your confidence is low, you might say yes when on the inside you're screaming, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah, low self-confidence being the need to want to please people and yes. to prove your ability to be worthy regardless of whether you're going to probably mess it up in the end or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what on your, on your website, and when we chatted a little bit about what it is that you love to speak about in the realm of confidence and leadership, you said being a doer. Yes. Can you explain that to me? Absolutely. So I use the acrostic, I use the word doer as an acrostic. And so the D in doer stands for discipline. Um, so one of my mentors, Justin McClendon, he always says that, you know, discipline is doing the prescribed activity no matter what, even and especially when it's difficult. And I know for me, when my confidence was low, it was hard for me to have that discipline. So I'm really big on that. And, and I love helping people learn how to discipline themselves for the things that they want. Uh, so discipline is huge. I think it affects every area of our life. We've got to apply some type of discipline to it. And so then moving on from the discipline part, the O is all about being opportunity focused. And as an entrepreneur, I think this is something that all entrepreneurs really need to take hold of is being opportunity focused. And really what that means is you kind of know what you want and you're being, you're willing to take action to move towards it. And also being opportunity focused really helps you say no to the opportunities that aren't good for you. It might be an amazing opportunity, but if it's not right for you, if it doesn't line up with your goals, you've got to be able to see that and say, quickly be able to say, no, that's not going to work out for me. Or yes, this will work out for me. But this is because you're opportunity focused. So you're constantly looking. 
And then also part of being opportunity focused is I found that is making others aware that you're open for those opportunities. I, I, I know I had an opportunity, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of shows like this based on a post that I did on social media, letting people know that, hey, I'm looking to get on X number of podcasts before the end of the year. And because I did that, other people referred me to other people to be on their show. But it's just because I was opportunity focused and I and I let people aware of it. It's very So important. Michael, let me stop you quick because I'm okay. curious, and this is a question I need answered in my own life. How do you navigate the gap between being willing to be opportunity focused and actually having those opportunities come to fruition to where you want them or need them to be? How do you navigate that space of uncertainty? Yeah. So I think, so Les Brown says, he said, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. So for me, it's always been about being prepared. Um, I grew up listening to an amazing um, minister by the name of Jerry Savelle, and he talked about how he had a goal of being a, a, a pastor, and what he would do is he would be in a hotel room, he would put on his suit, and he would practice a sermon to himself. You know, he would just do it over and over and over because he, he knew that if someone called up and said, hey, our pastor isn't going to be able to be here, can you step in? He wanted to be ready. And so that, I think that's what you have to do is like, if you know, you want opportunities, make sure that you're prepared for it. You know, as a coach, right. It's like, if you're a coach and you're looking for clients, Hey, are you prepared for the clients? Uh, you know, I've had people contact me saying, Hey, Michael, um, Hey, someone says they want to pay for my coaching services. I don't know how to charge them. Can you help me out? Right. So it's like, they, they weren't prepared at that moment. They knew who to get, who to get in contact with. But you want to have those type of items in place. When someone says yes, you can say, hey, here's how you pay or here's what your what the program is going to look like. Here's the next step in that process. So being prepared is a game changer. And it really makes it where you're more, you feel more confident about letting people know that you're open for opportunities. Yeah, and right? I'm, like I'm, I'm more that... confident letting people know that, hey, I'm willing to take a paid speaking opportunity because I'm prepared. I've got talks ready. I've got material ready. I've practiced them. I know that I could do it with a with a moment's notice because I'm prepared. So I think that, that can help. Yeah. And so I'm also kind of hearing that part of being prepared is building relationships and connections that will give you those opportunities as well. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, abs absolutely. That's that's important. Creating those connections. That's opened up a lot of doors for me as well. Um, helping other people hit their opportunity goals, like other people who are opportunity focused and they let and they let me know, hey, I'm looking for this, then I'm more likely to be able to refer them. And I like to tell like my clients, make yourself referable. Make it easier where if someone looks at your social media profile or your website and they see what you do. They can either say, oh, okay, Desiree does this. You know, she focuses on coaching these type of people. I can refer someone to that. Because if people don't know, they can't refer you. They'll say, oh, great person, but, right, they can't refer you specifically. Like, it's easy for people to refer me. They're like, hey, Michael's the coach's tech guy. You know, he can help you out with this, right? It's easy for people to refer me. And so that what helps would... with you being opportunity focused. Yeah, but what would be your response to someone who says, I don't want to brag? How do you, how do you create a website I, or create a reputation without bragging? Yeah, I, I've been there before, especially being an introvert. It was 
for years, it was tough for me to really highlight some of the great things that I've done. And now I do it. I, I put it out there. What I've realized, um, and that's a great question, is that that there's people who are following you, who are watching, who may never respond to your posts, but they're still watching and they need to see your success because you succeeding tells them, hey, if, if she can do it, I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. So people need that. I know I'll, I was talking to my mom. So I live in Ohio. My mom lives in North Carolina. I was talking to her a couple of weeks ago and she was like, oh yeah, I saw that you were in California at this event or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, there's no, you know, if I look at my, my Facebook page, you know, there's no likes for my mom, no comments or anything like that yet. She saw it. So that lets me know people are always watching, even if they're not common, even if they're not liking. And so I just tell people, Hey, you're not bragging. You know, you, it's the difference between bragging and letting people know what you've done, Let, sharing your wins with people. And you can always phrase it of being thankful to the organization who invited you out. Right. So like, you know, like I'm not going to brag and say, Hey, you know, I just did this amazing podcast show with Desiree. You know, I can say, Hey, I'm thankful that Desiree allowed me to be on her show, that she interviewed me, asked me great questions. Right. So I can, I can put it that way. Yeah. But people still need to know what you're doing. So what about for the person who's not an entrepreneur or who isn't trying to grow a client roster? What about the typical individual working within a company? Mm -hmm. Is it still important for them to be putting themselves out there to create opportunities, even though they don't necessarily have a purpose? Absolutely. So I, I've worked for the same company for the last um, 28 years. So straight out of college, through college internships and all that. And one of the things that I did, I, I knew that I knew that I wanted to become a professional speaker. So while working in that company, one of the things I did was I looked for opportunities to speak. So I would volunteer and they say, hey, we need, I had one instance where they they put out an announcement for our IT department. They said, hey, we're looking for some trainers for um, for the um, diversity and inclusion team. Um, fill out this form type of thing. I filled it out. So that was back in 2016. So I was a part of the first group of trainers and I'm actually still on that team now doing work with them, but it's all because I was opportunity focused and the mm -hmm. same with projects. So if there are certain, so if you're, you're career minded and you're looking to advance or really just do new, do things, it's important to let people know, uh, you know, I've had opportunities to work on special projects because I made it known to my manager, Hey, I'm interested in that. Oh, Hey, I heard about that thing right there. Hey, if I can help, if I can support in any way, please let me know. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to take some classes and learn this technology so that I can support the company. Yeah. And I find it funny. A lot of people say, I'm not living my passion or my purpose within my mm -hmm. job. And I say, well, have you let your boss know that your passion lies elsewhere? Like there may be opportunities for you to live that passion and purpose within the company you're in. Exactly. But if you don't ever tell anyone, <laughs> you yeah. won't know. Yeah, because so, that's how people are able to change transition from jobs within their same company because mm -hmm. they let someone know. But if you don't let them know, they're just gonna say, oh, they're, you know, she's fine or he's fine. Yeah, stay in your high achieving zone, but being frustrated about it, even though, you know, you wouldn't have to be there. So, yeah. Um. So I kind of went off on a tangent. That was the D and O endure. Yeah. So then the E. So the E is all about eliminating excuses. Mm. And so that's huge. And I first learned about that in 1997 uh, when I when I met my first mentor who I remember going to him and, and he's in my name of Percy. And I was asking, I said, Percy, how are you able to be so confident 
and so good with dealing with people, you know. And he said, hey, Michael, hey, if I give you a book, will you read it? And that's right. I was not a reader at all. I had just graduated from college in 97. I hadn't read a single book from cover to cover. I mean, it's like I graduated from college without reading a single book cover to cover because it wasn't I was an IT major, so a computer science major. So, you know, it wasn't a requirement, really. I just skimmed. But he gave me the book and the book he gave me. I keep it close to me because I talk about it a lot. So it's you, you can't see it here, but it's, it's called The Magic of Thinking Big. An amazing book. But when I saw it, 200 something pages, I had no plans on reading it. Percy did something that I think all great mentors should do is he followed up with me, said, hey, Michael, how's that book going for you? And I said, oh, I said, oh, Percy, you know, I'm new to the area, been busy at work, you know, still getting adjusted to the area. Someday in the future, my wife and I are going to have kids, right? Like I'm, I gave him tons of excuses. <laughs> and he said, OK, will you read one chapter for me? I said, sure. So he said, turn to chapter two. I turned to chapter two. The title of chapter two is Excuse Sight is the Failure Disease. I immediately read that chapter and I realized that every failure in my life was a direct result to the excuses I've been making. And so I made it my mission to start eliminating excuses from my life. And so mm. that's why the E is all about eliminating excuses. If you know me, you know that I like to throw around the number 60. That's 60 books read every year, everything from leadership to fiction and from memoirs to romance. The last Monday of every month, I release an episode of Lead with Confidence where we will dive deep into my favorite personal development book for the month. I will read them so you don't have to. However, I do truly think that books have the power to change your life. So if you're looking to learn and grow with some intentional action this year, check out my five favorite books that have moved the needle for me the most. Head over to DesireePetrick.com slash books. That's B-O-O-K-S. And I'll send you my list along with the links to get your very own copy. That's DesireePetrick.com slash books. Let's read and learn and grow together. Um, that's so important. Most of the things that stops us from going to that next level is an excuse. It's some story we'll tell, we're telling ourselves, right? It's like it's like if I if I call that person, they're going to say no. If I ask that company to do this, they're going to say not now, right? It's like these are all excuses that we're giving ourselves. So we have to eliminate those and think more about okay, what if the person did say yes, right? You know, what if I ask this person to be a coaching client of mine. And they say, yes, I, I, you know, I wanted to be a coach by you, but I didn't know I could. Right. It's like, but we don't know unless we are willing to ask. Yeah. I, in my framework, I talk about evaluating your excuses. And mm. ultimately, if you're going to use an excuse to not do something that you have a goal set towards, I mean, that's fine. Ultimately, you know what? It's your choice, but then you have to not regret it. You can't be frustrated about it. It's a choice that you made. And you're going to either learn choice. from that choice or, you know, so um, eliminating excuses is how you're going to move forward with intentional actions. But ultimately, it's your decision and you need to evaluate whether or not you're willing to deal with the, the consequences of not doing what you say you're going to do. Oh, I love that. Evaluating excuses. Yes, that's good. Yeah. So how we about all the have them, right? But yeah, we need oh, to yeah. slow down and evaluate. Them. I, I, love, I love that. I got it. lots of them. I'm evaluating my excuses often. Me too. Trust me. <laughs> awesome. And then, so then moving on to the R endure is all about responsibility. And I, when I look at this, it's more personal responsibility. And I feel like there's three main areas we should be responsible for and that we have complete control over. So one being our attitude. 
Um, we're personally responsible for our attitude. You know, we can choose whether we're going to have an, I, a can-do-it attitude or a crappy attitude, right? We have complete control over that. So I think that's important. The attitude is a choice. The other area is your personal growth. I have to be responsible for my personal growth. Mm -hmm. No one can grow for me, right? You know, John Maxwell can't read books for me. You know, I'm the only person who can read for me or learn from, for me. And so if I do have a goal, it's, it's my responsibility to continue to grow in that area. And I'm, a, I'm constantly growing in different areas on a regular basis, especially being in technology, because technology is constantly growing. You know, like I, I, I didn't know what chat GDP was a year ago, right? But now mm -hmm. I know a whole lot about it because I use it every day. I've studied it, taking courses. It's, it's just part of the growth thing. And then the the last area of responsibility is is all about character, right? So character is who you are when no one's looking. And I think, especially as an entrepreneur, it's very important that we constantly work on our character, so that when when people see me, that I'm able to show up authentically as the person that they expect me to be, right? That they say, oh, okay, I saw you on social media, but now I'm meeting you in person. I hope you're the same. I hope you're the same. Mm. And, and that's all about part of your character, right? It's a, you, you want to be authentically you. I love that. I love that. So you said something that kind of sparked a debate that I've had actually with another John Maxwell team member. All right. Um, and so you said that no one can grow for you. No one can mm -hmm. read the books for you. And at one point I had posted on LinkedIn and I said, work on your weaknesses. The process will make you stronger. And she and I are friends, so it's it's yeah. fine that we had this argument. But she said, it's not about working on your weaknesses because you can have people who will augment those weaknesses for you. Essentially, they'll make up for your weaknesses. You need to work on your strengths. And I, I don't disagree at all, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that specifically for the things that like reading or, you know, I can't, no one can do a push-up for me. I can't do one for myself, but no one can do one for exactly. me either. So what are your thoughts on working on your strengths versus weaknesses? What ratio do we need to be working on these things? Yeah. And so, so John Maxwell talks about it a whole lot, right? So he makes that same statement of how, you know, you don't, don't spend time on your weakness. You can hire out your weakness, work on your strengths. However, when it's something that John, that I've heard John say also is that if your area of weakness is an area that you want to grow in, then invest into it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like one of my weaknesses is, is yard work. I'm not going to, you know, I could care less about it. I'm not going to grow. I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to spend time. I'll hire that out. Mm. But growing up, I was a natural introvert, terrified of public speaking. So one of my weaknesses growing up was public speaking. However, I had a goal of being a professional speaker. Like I saw myself as being a speaker. I knew that I need to work on that. And I'm continually working on that. You know, it was a weakness. I'm working on making it a strength, but it's a constant battle that I've got to do. I've got to keep working on it over and over. So if I think if that weakness, if you identify your weakness as something that you want to grow in, then grow in it. If it's something that you're like, I can let someone else do this, right? Hire it out, delegate it to someone else, and then keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, so the statement, so I agree, like I said, I agree with that statement. And I've seen some people focus too much on weaknesses that just they're not going to grow in. Mm -hmm. It's not going to benefit them if they grow in. Like, like, like for me, like I'm not a golfer at all. It it would be, I could 
if I pay, you know, if I try to go golf, you know, 40 hours a week over the next six months, I might improve a little bit, but it's not at the end of the day, it's not going to make a difference in my life. It's not going to help me move closer to my goals. It would be a waste of time. Yeah, that was a great comparison to that. So I want to shift just a little bit because the word culture is such a buzzword right now. And something in your on your website really struck me. You said that the core workplace challenges are human-centric. And we kind of lump this concept of culture being a company problem. But what does that look like when you say it's human-centric? What does that mean to you? And how can that relate to building an environment in a culture that people want to be a part of? Yeah, so that's that's important, right? So um, when you think about the culture, like everyone's culture is different. So like my culture here in my culture in my home is different from my culture in my family's home back in North Carolina, like the way we raise our kids, the way we do all that. So even in a corporate situation, your your culture may be it's going to start with you, how you perceive things, how you relate. But then, if you're on a team, you want to figure okay, what's the what's the core dynamics of that team? Like what's what's going to make that team strong? And it's typically the culture that a team has, right? Is your and 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 I like what Jeff Henderson says. You know, it's kind of like what what are you known for? You know, so when you think about culture, like so like in a team environment, what is your team known for? Like is your team known for being responsive, delivering great quality products and 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 fun, then that's what that's going to be the culture of your team. So even when new people come in, they're going to see that environment. They'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, we've got that. You think about the John Maxwell team, the culture of the John Maxwell team, and one of the things it's known for is adding value to people. So when you go to an event or something like that, you see people who are constantly talking about, hey, how can I add value to you? How can I serve you today? Right. They've got that culture. So when new people join the team, they feel that culture and energy. And so it's important to really have a clear understanding of okay, what type of culture do we want to create for our team or for our even for your business? What do, what do you want your business to be known for? And so that when new people get around you, they feel that and they want to be a part of it. Or they can quickly say, Hey, I want nothing to do with that culture, that environment, and they go somewhere else. So what are some of those core workplace challenges that you see and that you get to work with and how do you overcome them? Yeah. So some like some of the ones I've seen is um so a lot of microaggressions. So being a um a DNI trainer, we talk about that a whole lot. And so there are people who in their teams they have communications issues, but it's typically based on how they're being triggered. You know, they're they're micro triggers or anything. And it's because they're not communicating to them. So like if I'm working in a team environment with you and I do something every day that really affects your your ability to work successfully, because you're like, I just don't like being around that person. You know, they, they're constantly singing and I'm trying to focus on my work. If I don't speak up or if, if, if the culture isn't set up where I can freely speak up and let you know that, hey, can you stop doing that? It really distracts me. Then we're going to have a barrier. So it's like every time I have to go in the meeting with you, I'm like, oh man, I hope she doesn't start singing because I'm going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to irritate me. Right. But you, you have to create that environment where people feel free to, to talk and say, Hey, this is a trigger for me. This affects me. And this is why it affects me. Um, and, and be able to help other people too. But like, if you notice it, right. And like, if you were in a meeting 
and someone says something and I see a cringe on your face, you might not speak up, but I've got to be willing to be an advocate for you and say, hey, you might not want to say that, you know, because it could be offensive. So you just got to have that that culture. Hmm. I love that. So one, this is a very kind of random question, but something I really am curious about. If you have someone that doesn't fit in with that culture, if you have someone who kind of goes against the grain and is unwilling to change, do you fix or fire? And what amount of time do you give before you make that decision of actually letting someone go? Yeah, I mean, I think people should always see if there's an opportunity to to fix first. It costs less to fix an employee versus replacing mm. an employee. Um, and in most cases, and because because it's some point that person got hired because someone felt that person was going to be a good fit for the company. And I understand sometimes there is an acquisition where you, maybe you're inheriting someone who came from a different company. They're a little disgruntled and all that. But I say do what you can to fix it. But I think you have to try to identify okay, what is the real what is the real issue? Like, is it a performance issue? Is it an attitude issue? Is it something that we can correct? Is there a course we can put people to? Is it, you know, that they need sensitivity training? Or is it just that this person is just not qualified for this position? So either we can find another position for them, or maybe we can let them know, hey, you know, we're going to have to let you go. And this is why, and you may want to work on these areas for your next position or something. Right? You can always do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you'd have to get legal involved and all that, but but if you can, like I said, if you can fix it, and I think it's so important. I mean, there's, I mean, I've been in corporate, like I said, I've been in corporate America 28 years. So I've seen a lot of different people. And I know for me, one of the things that I've enjoyed about the company that I work with for that long is that they have programs in place to allow us to grow as an employee, as a person, mm-hmm. really. And so I'm a huge fan of personal development. So I think if you have an environment where people feel like, hey, if they're struggling in the area, they can go take a class or they can get help. I think that'll really help people out. Yeah. So you said you love personal development. Does that mean you've been converted for some, from someone who doesn't read to someone who reads? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I still could read more, right? There's always more opportunity to read, but I love learning, mm-hmm. learning and doing, and, you know, you know, I'll, I'll learn something, learn a little bit, do a little bit. Yep. I I follow Chris's advice on that one too. Mm-hmm. Um so in that sense then what book recommendation would you give to the listeners to say here's the book if you needed to know anything here's the book. Yeah, so so many book recommendations, right? So it depends on what area, but if it if it comes down to confidence, I I go back to like to the first personal development book I read was Magic of Thinking Big. There's a chapter in here on let's see what which one is it chapter three build confidence and destroy fear so that Mm -hmm. is a great chapter on building your confidence but this this book is loaded with things chapter one is believe you can succeed and you will chapter two i mentioned earlier cure yourself of excusitis the failure disease chapter three build confidence and destroy fear chapter four how to think big so it's loaded with great content and very, very um, impactful information. So I would definitely encourage people to read this book. And this is why I, I keep it close to my desk at all times. And I have lots of 
lots of books behind me and all that. Lots of books of John's, but the magic of thinking big um, would definitely get anyone on the right track, I believe. Well, I'm going to have to add that one to my list because surprisingly, I haven't read that one. So <laughs> <laughs> it's an older book, but it's a really, really good information. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's wrap it up here. What does it mean to you when I say lead with confidence? Hmm. Lead with confidence. I I truly believe it is is you being able to lead yourself first, you know, confident lead yourself. So meaning that anything that I'm doing, I'm doing it with confidence. I'm showing up with confidence. If I'm speaking, I'm speaking with confidence. If I'm serving, I'm serving with confidence. Um, so that's what I see. And that's that's what I believe. And I and I want to want to be where it's like anytime someone sees me, they're like, man, they can feel the confidence that you have. And the way you answer questions or the way you show up and do your work and all that, they just, they feel it. And that energy really works with them. So leading with confidence is all about being authentically you and showing up as that confident you. And even if you don't feel confident in the situation, I think you still try to just try to see yourself as confident on a regular basis. Yeah, perfect. Well, uh, Michael, I'm so happy that you were able to join me, but where can we learn more about you? Where can we figure out what it is that you do on an even deeper level. Absolutely. So, so a couple of ways. So, so one is you can always go to my website, michaelpopetraining.com. You can find me on social media, Michael J. Pope Jr. I'm on all the major social media platforms. And then also if you are a reader, so another book I'd recommend is my book. So my book, I've got a book on marketing called Gadget's Guide to, um, Gadget's Guide to Marketing here. It's, it's available on Amazon. So you can check that out as well and learn more about me and my story. Perfect. Well, and I'll link all of those things in the show notes so that we um we make sure to get them to the right place. But thank you again for coming on. You answered some of my questions. So the conversation was a little selfish on my end, but I think that anyone would be able to learn from, from your take on confidence and leadership. So until next time, um, let's lead with confidence. Yes, yes. Lead with confidence. Love it. Thank you so much for joining me as we grow together and learn to lead with confidence. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so appreciated if you would leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would love to know which topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. So send me a message on Instagram at Desiree Petrick or send an email to leadwithconfidencepodcast at gmail.com. See you on the next episode of Lead with Confidence.